invite you to take out your Bibles and open to Mark 4. We're going to look at the parable of the sower this morning in Mark 4, verses 1 through 20. And so if you don't mind, if you stand with me, we'll look at the, uh, the first nine verses of Mark 4. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, uh, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns. The thorns grew up and choked it. And it yielded no grain, and other seed fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold, sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. And he said to them, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. You can take a seat. We're kicking off a series on uh, some of the parables of Jesus today. We're going to go into four different parables over the next four weeks, and I'm hoping that what you'll see that in these parables is our purpose as a church, to love God passionately and to serve neighbors generously and to grow in Christ intentionally. And so I want to give you a little setup about parables before we dive in to, to just make sure you understand what the parables of Jesus are and how he used them and also how we should approach them. And so I think one of the best explanations I can give you comes from pastor and theologian N.T. Wright. And he wrote this in his book, Simply Jesus. Whatever the parables are, they are not, as children are sometimes taught in Sunday school, earthly stories with heavenly meanings. Rather, they are expressions of Jesus' shocking announcement that God's kingdom was arriving on earth as in heaven. So in short, the parables are Jesus' way of taking something that's known by his hearers, like sowing seed, or finding a treasure in a field, or coming across a pearl that has great price, or, or seeing an injured traveler on the side of the road, or having a fig tree that's not producing fruit, and using those known things to explain the unknown, namely the kingdom of God. And, and so... Because the parables use the known to explain the unknown, we have to accept that the kingdom of God, the rule of God in our lives, and the dynamics of his kingdom are not rooted in the things of this world, but they are reflected in the things of this world. And so what does that mean? Simply put, it means that the kingdom of God is operating in this world, but not by the rules of this world. We're in this world, but we're not ruled by the principles of this world. We're ruled by the principles of the kingdom of God, which is what Jesus meant when he told Pilate in John 18, 36, that his kingdom was not of this world. It's of heaven. 
It's the kingdom of God present. And so with this in mind, I think as we look at four parables over the next four weeks, we have to approach them with a sense of humility and expectancy. And here's why. We need to approach with humility as we look at these parables in recognition that it's the Holy Spirit who gives us ears to hear and eyes to see the truth of the parables. Because apart from the Holy Spirit leading and guiding us, we will never understand the parables. Jesus makes that clear here. And we need to approach with a sense of expectancy. Expectancy in that when we tend to the soil of our hearts, as we're going to see in the parable of the sower today, the fruit that comes will be far greater than anything we ever imagined possible. And so with that in mind, let's dive into Mark 4. So the parable of the sower is unique in this sense. It's unique that we don't have to do a lot of interpretation here because Jesus himself explains it. So after he tells the parable, his disciples come to him and say, hey, what does that mean? And he says, well, I'm going to tell you what it means. Because if you don't get this one, you're not going to get all the other ones. And so, so in this parable, Jesus is both the sower and the seed. He's the one scattering the seed, and he is the seed. Matthew calls it, uh, sowing the word of the kingdom of God when he tells this same parable. So the word's being spread, and we also know that from John 1, Jesus is the word, right? In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. So in this parable, Jesus is inaugurating the kingdom of God as his presence. He's saying, I am here, and I am scattering the truth, the word of God, the word of God's kingdom. And so this is what you need to know. The truth of the kingdom of God is this. Number one, no one's going to come to the Father except through me. No one's going to come to God except through Jesus. And then he recognizes and points out that as the word of God in the flesh, he is the manifestation of God's kingdom here. So Jesus is the kingdom of God. To be in the kingdom is to be in Christ. And he also acknowledges that he's the good news, that through him, we now have access to the Father. And so those three truths are something that Jesus is pointing out in this parable. So that means that he is both the seed and the sower. He's the one scattering the seed, but he is the seed that brings us into the kingdom of God. And there's nothing anyone can do to stop him from sowing. The world can denounce him, they can stand against him, can misrepresent him, Even death couldn't stop the sower from sowing the seed. The world takes stronger and stronger stances against the seed, which is God in the flesh, Jesus himself. And we need to put our confidence in that as this happens. That one simple truth, that nothing will stop Jesus from sowing the truth, from sowing the seed that is himself. We can stand in the fact that he will continue to sow no matter what comes against him. And then there's another truth he points out in this parable that helps us, that we can stand in. Even if three-fourths of the seed that he sows doesn't bear fruit, the one-fourth that does will bear more fruit than can be imagined. And so that's just to recap to this point. Jesus is both the sower and the seed. He is the word of God, the truth of God in the flesh, and he is sowing the word of the kingdom of God as he comes onto the scene here in Mark 4. 
He's doing what he began in Mark 1, verses 14 and 15. Now, after, Jesus, or after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And so what Jesus is doing here in the parable of the sower is saying, look, I've told you the kingdom is here. I've told you the time is at hand. Now I want to help you understand the dynamics of how the kingdom works. I want you to understand the processes that are in place in the kingdom. And so the message of Mark 1 is being conveyed in this parable. The kingdom is here. It's being proclaimed everywhere, and hearing the message of the kingdom and understanding it are critical if you're going to live in the kingdom. And so Jesus begins all this by saying, listen. Listen, you've got to hear this. And he, knows, he says that because he knows the truth of Romans 10:17 that Paul would later write. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of God. So the point of the parables are this. It is a way for us to hear so that we can put faith in the Word of God. As we look at these parables over the next four weeks, hopefully what you'll see is it's a way to open up the truth and reality of God to us through things that we understand so that we can live more deeply and fully into the kingdom. Now, we have to look at the soils in this. The soils is where the practical application is. Because Jesus explained this parable himself, it's a lot easier for us to say, okay, what's the application? We don't have to figure out the interpretation. He gave us that. But we can press into the application. And so in verse 15, the first thing we see is that there, there's seed that fell along the path, right? And, and when, uh, when the word is sown, when they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. That's the, the seed that fell along this path. See, here's the thing. In first century Palestine, unlike many farms today, there were not fences. So fields where people scattered oftentimes had paths through them, but also bordering them so that they could set the field apart, but also that travelers could go through. And so there were paths that were worn down, that were hard because people had walked them. And Jesus talks about the ones along the path are those who have allowed their hearts to harden to the truth of God and to the word of God. And when the seed of God's truth falls on those who have allowed their hearts to become hardened, it's devoured quickly. It doesn't linger. It doesn't do anything. And it's an unwillingness to hear that leaves the soil of our hearts unreceptive. I think we've all been there at some point or another where we just decide we know. We know what's what. And you can tell me anything different, but I don't want to hear it. And I'm going to stand on what I know. And when that happens, we're hardening our hearts. We all have people in our lives who are probably doing that towards the truth of God. And when that happens, they're hardening their hearts. Now here's the thing. The only way that those who are the path can hear the Word of God is by the Holy Spirit opening their ears. The same way the Holy Spirit did for you and for me to hear the truth of the Word of God. And so, when we have people in our lives who are this hard soil, the best thing we can do for them is pray for them. We cannot speak any truth to them that will open their ears to this. But we can lift them 
to the Holy Spirit and say, Lord, you can open their hearts. You can open their ears. I don't need to engage in a debate. I don't need to become argumentative. I don't need to shoot down everything that they believe and prove what I believe. What I need to do is love them well and pray for them. And as I do that, the path begins to get broken up. Softness comes in. And the word of God, the seed that Jesus himself is scattering, may find a place to take root. Now the next soil is the rocky ground. And that, that, that rocky ground that he's talking about here would have been a very shallow layer of dirt on top of bedrock. It'd be like if I came in here and dumped topsoil down. You'd look at it and you go, that's good dirt, until you tried to stick something in it or plant something in it. You'd realize it's not really great for growing. So listen to verse 16. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. See, they like what they're hearing. It sounds good. It brings them joy. They're excited. But they don't have any root after the seed sprouts. And it quickly dries up and dies. They're fine to receive the truth of God with some joy until they realize that faith demands a cost. They have to do something with this. I have to pay a price to live my faith out. And that price is to relinquish and let go of things of the world. It's what Luke, talk, or Luke wrote about in uh, Luke 14, 25, 33, where Jesus tells his followers, look, you can't follow me if you don't count the cost. Count the cost before you commit to me. And people that are the rocky soil, they've never counted the cost. They hear it, they receive it with joy, but then they re begin to realize that if I'm going to live into this, if I'm going to receive this, and it's going to produce fruit in my life, I'm going to have to start telling myself no to certain things. I'm going to have to start turning my life in a different direction. I'm going to have to start pursuing things that serve God, not me. And I'm not really ready for that. And so that's the rocky ground. The next soil we get to is the thorny ground. I'm going to spend more time on this because I think this is a danger zone for us. But listen to verse 18. And others are the ones sown among the thorns. They are those who hear the word... But then notice what happens next in verse 19. They hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. These are people who are in the world and of the world. They're not living under the kingdom rule and the principles and dynamic of God's kingdom. They've heard the truth, but they're still choosing to be ruled by the principles and dynamics of this world, not the kingdom of God. See, for those of us in the church, this is important because this is the place that we have to be constantly vigilant against slipping into. If you are in Christ, this is the place that you can easily drift into and find yourself being choked out, the life of Christ in you, the word of truth being choked out by the concerns of this world and deceitfulness of riches. This is the greatest danger for those of us who call ourselves apprentice of Jesus. And so I want to give you a simple and effective defense against this. So follow along with me. It involves a three, three truths and, and a couple steps. 
The first thing we need to realize is what Colossians 3, 1 and 2 says. If we are going to be a people who don't get sucked into this place where the thorns are, then pay attention to this verse. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on things that are on earth. The invitation from Paul in Colossians 3 here is to think about what you think about. You guys are aware that you're not a slave to your thoughts, right? You're aware of that? Because oftentimes what culture tells us is, well, you just think what you think. You can't do anything about that. But the reality is, no, I can. I can choose to think about what I think about. If we, as people who are that good soil that we're going to talk about, don't want to be in the thorns... We think about what we think about. We let our thoughts be drawn and led by the Holy Spirit to the place where Christ is Himself, seated at the right hand of God. And these verses, Colossians 3, 1 and 2, are actually a practical application of the truth of Romans 12, 2. So Romans 12, 2 tells us what the mind does. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God what is good and acceptable and perfect Colossians 3 is the practice of Romans 12 2 you want to be the person who's producing fruit in your spiritual life you recognize that Romans 12 2 is true that any change that happens in you will happen because the Holy Spirit renews your mind And then you practice Colossians 3, 1 and 2 and say, I'm going to set my mind on the things that are above where Christ is. In essence, what that means in simplicity, I'm going to be more concerned about the things of Jesus than I am going to be concerned about the things of Terry. I'm going to set my mind on the things of Christ, not the things of me. And I I don't want to belabor this too much, but this is important to make sure that we stay out of the thorns (laughs) to make sure that we are receptive to the Holy Spirit doing a work in us, to make sure that we understand that transformation happens in us when our minds are renewed by the power of the Holy Spirit. That when your mind is focused on Christ, when it's kingdom-focused and not earth-focused, you're setting it on the things above. Now, real quick, what are the things above? Well, we go to Philippians 4.8 and we see some of those things that are above. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Again, that Romans 12 principle is in Philippians 4. Think. Think. Set your mind on the things above. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Think about these things. So the task is pretty simple for us to stay out of the thorns, for us to not become the kind of people who get entangled with the cares and the worries of this world in our faith that then choke out the fruit of the truth of God. task is really simple, and it starts with prayer. You stay out of the thorns. You keep Colossians 3, 1 and 2 in mind. 
You stand on the truth, the reality of Romans 12, 2. You think on the things of Philippians 4, 8. That is your filter. And as you do that, then you pray that the Holy Spirit will open your eyes to see the things that are in this world, the things of God here that are true and honorable and just and pure and lovely and commendable and excellent and praiseworthy. Do you see the counterintuitive nature of that? Because everything in the kingdom of this world says, you gotta find out what's wrong. You gotta know what to complain about. You gotta stand against others. You gotta make sure that everything that is bad in the world is pointed out. And then, oh, by the way, assign it to somebody. Don't take responsibility for it, but make sure you notice it. And if you don't realize when that's happening, I'm gonna tell you one little word that should be a dead giveaway. When you think or say the word they, who are they? They need to stop that. They need to do better with this. They can put a man on the moon, but they can't do this. There is no they, we are they. We are they. The world we live in is a product of how we live in it. If we want to live in the kingdom of God, then we need to bear fruit. We need to step out of these thorns. We need to be able to say, I get it, Lord. There's thorns and there's rocky ground and there's, there's some hard paths in this world where your truth falls, but this isn't going to be one of them. And so that brings us to the good soil. Listen to this in verse 20. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold. I need to point something out in here. Now here's my question. If you're a farmer in here, will you just raise your hand? If I told you I could guarantee you 30 fold on your crop next year, would you be excited? If I said 60, would you be excited? If I said 100, would you be excited? We're starting to get to some crazy numbers, right? You have to understand, in the day of Jesus, when they sowed seed for particularly grain, an eight to one yield, most commentators say, was about a good average. A 10 to one would have been incredible. Jesus is offering his hearers 30, 60, 100 fold yield. I don't want this point to just slide by us because I think we as a church, particularly the Western church, have a tendency not to expect too much from God, but to expect too little. We tend to stand in a place of going, well, I think maybe God could do this. He might be able to do this in my life. But we don't expect him to do the big thing. We don't expect him to show up and yield fruit in our lives that takes away that addiction we've been struggling with for years. We don't expect him to show up and heal the relationship that's been broken for decades. And we don't expect him to show up to the loved one, the family member who's lost, whose heart is so hardened that we can't see any way through. And we don't expect him to bring us out of the thorns or the cares of this world. We don't expect him to give us that deep, and constant and abiding love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Which is exactly the fruit that Jesus is talking about here. See, a lot of people in the prosperity gospel movement have misinterpreted this parable. They've twisted it up. 
and said, look, if you'll just sow the right seed, God will give you a hundredfold back. The fruit of the kingdom of heaven is the Spirit. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Everything that Galatians 5.22 talks about, the yield that can come into our lives, 30, 60, 100-fold, is this. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's the fruit of the Spirit. That's the fruit that the truth will yield in us. That's the fruit that good soil bears 30, 60, 100 times. And that's the fruit that we should be expecting God to produce in us when we make our hearts good soil. And so if you remember back at the beginning of all this, I told you that we needed to really approach these parables with a sense of humility and expectancy. Humility because of the words in verse 9. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. We've been given ears to hear by the Holy Spirit. The one who leads us into the knowledge of Jesus. The one who sanctifies us through transformation. And our understanding of the parables is never a product of our own efforts. But it's a product of the grace of God. When it clicks in your head, that's God working. And we need to have a sense of expectancy because of Jesus' words in Mark 10, 27. Nothing is impossible with God. He'll bring forth fruit in the good soil, but we have to tend the soil, make it receptive to the things of God, to push off the cares of this world and the enticement of worldly things. Humility and expectancy are necessary for us to receive the truth of Jesus that is in these parables. You know what tends the soil of our hearts? It's the spiritual disciplines and practices that we decide we're going to engage in so that we can create space for God to do a work. It's the things like prayer and Bible study and seeking God and practicing His presence. When we do those things in our daily lives, when we set up a rhythm of saying spiritual things must be tended to in my life, we're tending the soil of our hearts. And in that soil, the seed, by the work of the power of the Holy Spirit, will produce fruit. Think about what you think about. It's Colossians 3, right? Think about what you think about because you know that transformation happens by the grace of God when your mind is renewed. That's Romans 12. And then as that happens, what will happen in your life is your mind will begin to fixate on, to notice the things that are true and honorable and just and pure and lovely and commendable and excellent and worthy of praise. The things of God, that's in Philippians 4, 8. And then your lives will begin to bear fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. Galatians 5.22. See, the parable of the sower is about getting a vision for your life in Christ. Simply put, the vision of this parable should be a vision of humility as the Holy Spirit leads us deeper and deeper into the truth of Jesus. And it should be a vision of expectancy as God does more in our lives than we could ever imagine. But make no mistake, it's the work of God in those who seek it. Here's the question I want to leave you with. Can you catch a vision of your life as an abundantly fruitful life in Christ? 
See, the point of this parable is that your life in the kingdom of God will produce fruit beyond your wildest dreams if you tend to the soil of your heart as the Holy Spirit grows the seed of the kingdom in you. For us, it's about the soil. We must tend to the soil. The rest of it is the work of God. Father, we're so grateful that you give us this picture of you working and moving deeply in our hearts and our minds and in our lives, God. Producing fruit. And Lord, I pray that that we become a people who are desperate for you to work in our hearts and in our minds, produce fruit in our lives, and who are devoted to you out of love for your Son, that our greatest longing is to constantly be in a position where we're in your presence and aware of it, knowing that you're at work in our lives, and that through that, you're elevating your Son so that all will see and know him. And so we just ask that you would make us a people who are constantly being receptive to the seed of your truth and that the yield is growing greater and greater every day. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.